Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom, and we're here with Paul of Coyote Vest, Season 10, Episode 23, air date of May 12, 2019. Comes into the tank asking $250,000 for 10% of his business. Now, Coyote Vest is essentially pet body armor. <laughs> Body armor, uh, vest for dogs. Uh, it prevents other animals from attacking them. They even have a version with a zapper uh, built into it. So at the time of uh, being on Shark Tank, two and a half years in business, 570,000 in sales. Uh, had done $267,000 year to date. Um, it's about a $120 kit and it's $30 to make it all built in the United States. Uh, Paul did not get a deal, but you'll see great interview, a lot of great lessons uh, to be learned. So enjoy the interview. We'll see you afterwards uh, to talk about what we learned. All right, Paul, it's great to have you on outside the tank here. Um, let's start at the top. And I know some of this was covered on the episode. Uh, where did you come up with the idea for Coyote Vest? Yeah, well, you know, I had no experience in the pet industry whatsoever, but I had three little dogs that I loved dearly. And one day after work, we were over at the dog park. We were done. We we're getting ready to go home. And I'm trying to put them back in the car and, you know, taking turns. The, the last one, I heard a little yelp and I turned around and I saw her in the jaws of a coyote. And um, the coyote gave her a good hard shake and took off running into the bushes. And I, and I could never find her again, you know, it was some heavy brush into some private property and some areas I couldn't get to. And I mean, we searched for days. We've never seen her again. It's just like a, like a car crash. It happened so quickly and it was just devastating. I felt so bad and I felt so guilty. It was really a, a crushing amount of grief that I'd never felt before. And, uh, you know, I went through all those seven stages of grief. And now we're like, okay, well, we're, you know, let's get back and try and resume our normal life again. And every time I take the dogs, the two remaining dogs out, I'm scared to death. It's going to happen again. It's really bothering me. So I'm thinking, you know, what are we going to do? And, you know, having lived through that experience, I realized that a weapon wouldn't have helped. I mean, because I didn't see it coming. So there's got to be some way to give them some protection. And that was the genesis of the idea. And I started doing a lot of research and eventually came up with a coyote vest. Had you ever built a product before or did you have to find someone to build a prototype? Walk us through that process. Well, actually I am a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good maker and I've done a lot of product work. I'm, uh, you know, I used to be an auto mechanic, used to build fast cars and stuff. And, uh, then I got into the computer industry and I did a lot of software development and uh, was pretty successful in that industry. And um, I was so successful that I started up a motorcycle company and I was actually selling custom motorcycle parts for about eight years, all through the, uh, remember the American chopper days back in the 2000s. So I was kind of riding that wave with the custom bike market and it was really, really fun. I made a lot of different parts, a lot of designs um, and software to run the business as well. So I had a good time. And then it all came to a screeching halt in 2009. So I went back to the software <laughs> industry and was uh, working, you know, just working again as a, a software architect and taking my dogs. Out. I was working at home and taking my dogs out for a walk every afternoon. So. so you'd been in business a few years prior to the episode airing. Uh, 
what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in creating the product and taking it to market? Oh uh, yeah, well, um, you know, coming up with the ideas was a gradual process. Uh, basically, started off with just a spike collar, and kept coming up with different ideas. But doing a lot of research on the internet, finding materials, finding the correct materials that would would work, was a big challenge. Um, teaching myself how to sew, <laughs> it was part of it. You know, my wife was helping; she volunteered, and she's a, a pretty good home sewer, but. Um, it got to a point where I had to get involved too because we were trying to do so many different things. So bought a sewing machine, learned how to sew, uh, finding all the different materials. Uh, when we got to the point that we were going to start making a product, we had to come up with different sizes. So I'm like calling up my neighbors like, hey, can I borrow your chihuahua? You know, <laughs> seeing who would lend me, who would loan, loan me their, their different size dogs, you know, to come up with patterns. So those were some of the big challenges it wasn't really a, a capital intensive business. It wasn't the case where I had to go off and spend a million dollars on tooling or, or, you know, technology or anything like that. It was really pretty simple to get it started, you know, all things considered. How, I'm curious, Paul, how many, if you have a count, how many different iterations of the product have you gone through to get to where you're at at present? Oh, gosh, I think there was probably maybe five or six uh, different steps along the way, starting with the spike collar and then adding the Kevlar and then adding the spike strips down the back and up onto the neck and everything. So it was probably five or six different versions. And, um, you know, one of the versions was where I put these bright nylon bristles on the dog's back. And that was kind of a stretch right there. I was thinking, you know, someone's going to call the, the Humane Society for me, you know, putting this cruel costume on my dog. I was afraid everybody's just gonna laugh at it and think it was the stupidest thing in the world. But, you know, I said, you know what, I don't care. If this keeps the coyotes away, we're gonna try it. So we got a lot of attention immediately when we started putting those uh, bright orange bristles on the back of the, of the dog. And a lot of people laughed and a lot of people thought it was cool and everybody wanted to know what it was for. Everybody well, was curious. You're down in San Diego, but up in LA, where I'm originally from, I live in Scottsdale now, but in LA, that would just be a dog, a, a very standard dog Halloween costume, so. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people thought it was a costume, you know, and I have to explain to them, no, this is safety equipment, you know, we're, you know, you know, it's the middle of February, it's, it's no Halloween or anything, we're just wearing it for safety. And on the episode, you mentioned that the, the actual vest is lightweight, and it, it looks beefy, but it's it's actually lightweight and very functional. What what's the uh, the actual weight of the a standard product, a medium sized product? Seven or eight ounces. It's really super oh, light. Okay. So the materials are light, and uh, one of the things that we learned along the way, I mean, spikes, right? So I'm trying to find spikes, and all I can find is metal spikes. And I put a lot of metal spikes, and now it's way too heavy. It's just not practical. So. Uh, getting this, the uh, chrome spikes sourced was a big challenge, and that made all the difference in the world. So the fabrics themselves aren't too bad, and these plastic spikes that we use, they're hard as can be. I mean, they'll, they'll do the job, uh, and they're not very heavy. How did you end up uh, getting on the show? Well, so... You know, our product is very visual and we started getting a lot of publicity since the day we started out and started off with our local news station and then spread out to national news stations. And we'd actually uh, gotten a contact 
from a show back in 2016 um, called America's Greatest Makers. And this was a Mark Burnett production that was only had one season. It came out, I believe, on NBC. And it was sponsored by Intel. And the idea was uh, for these people, it was like an um, American Idol, a competition. But the idea was to come up with a great invention using this Intel chip. So it was a nationally broadcast show. And they, I wasn't a contestant, but they were looking for content. So they called us up and said, hey, can we send a film crew out to film your, your coyote vest? It's really cool. So we can do a two or three minute spot to, to show an innovative product on our television show, even though I wasn't a contestant. So when we did that, I think a lot of the producers who work in Mark Barnett's world, you know, kind of became aware of us. And, um, and so they were going to do a second season and I was actually going to compete. Being, a, being an engineer, I actually came up with a, a design so that I could compete and I was hoping to win that million dollars, but the show got canceled and uh, it never happened, never panned out. So we just went back to running our Coyote Vest business. Um, and uh, probably a year or two later, a year and a half later, we get another call from a producer from Shark Tank saying, uh, gosh, we've seen your product. You know, you're getting a lot of publicity and it's really cool. And we'd love to have you on the show. Would you consider doing it? So uh, of course, yes, uh, absolutely. And, uh, they assigned some producers to us and we went through all the paperwork and eagerly participated. And then we always, you know, are curious what happens after you air. So what were those first couple of days like and hours like after the episode initially aired in May of 2019? Well, it was, <laughs> it was so weird because I guess I always tell people that the, the, the name Shark Tank is a really good name because it invokes this flight or fight response as if you've been thrown into a tank with sharks. And of course you're stuck there, you have to fight. And it was so uh, stressful. I can hardly remember what happened. <laughs> a lot of it was just blacked out. I really, Pam and I were, so for the first three or four hours, we're just in the car looking at each other going, what just happened? You know, do you remember what happened? What did you say? What was that? So we were really trying to, to go back through our brain and, and reproduce what happened. And, um, and now after all this time, I think I kind of remember what it was, but at the time I was just so shocked. Uh, Pam was very disappointed that we didn't get a deal. I was less disappointed because I thought we had, you know, made our case and done a good job showing the product. So I was hoping that um, we would get treated well in the editing room and, and we were. The hardest part, though, is that we had to wait almost a year. You know, we were we filmed in uh, September, and um, we ended up being on the season finale of ten. And so, so for a year, we're thinking, "Oh, we screwed this up. They're not going to show it. They're just going to throw the tape in the can because it's not good enough, right?" So we were really concerned. We put all this effort into it, and it was never going to get shown. And just. Uh, uh, what, 30 days or something before the final season 10 finale comes out, they shoot us an email and say, okay, you're going to be on. And oh my gosh, we breathed this a huge sigh of relief knowing we were going to at least be on there. But now we have to wait and see our, is it going to be good? Are they going to, are we going to come off looking good? You know, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and then what, uh, what were sales like after the episode aired? 
sales were obviously, you know, went way, way up for the next few days. I mean, probably for a week, we had a huge, huge lift in sales. But, um, you know, we've, uh, along the along the journey of Coyote Vest, because we get a lot of free publicity and because our product is super highly visual and it's just, there's a story that people want to tell behind it, we've had other uh, viral events that actually got more lift than Shark Tank, to be honest with you. So Shark Tank was a wonderful thing. It helped our sales a lot, but we've had other things happen on social media that even beat that. Give us a couple examples, because I'm curious, you know, obviously a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this. And what are some of those uh, organic, viral, you know, PR related things that have gotten out there and really had an impact on sales and on you getting the word out about the product? Well, I think one of the first ones we ever did was uh, uh, there's a an Instagram or Facebook account called Newsweek, I think. And they do these short videos constantly and they're trying to get attention. And they asked me to shoot some video here and send it to them. And they put together a little uh, video that kind of talked about the coyote vest for 60 seconds or something. And that ended up getting almost 30 million views. It just Ooh. went crazy. It was insane how many views we got. That was one example. Another one was, uh, this lady who works for PETA posted a, a tweet uh, about her dog wearing a coyote vest and, you know, another, another one that got 20 million views. And, and then uh, also I would say to any other entrepreneurs, having someone who's a, you know, a high publicity figure endorse your product. I'd say the biggest lift we ever got from one event was when Caesar Milan promoted our product and said, Hey, this is a great thing, you know, and he's got so many followers and, we had a huge influx of business for a few days after that. Yeah, so it's an great. influencer. It's great to have an influencer like the dog whisperer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just, he's probably the most famous dog guy out there these days. So, at the at the time of filming, uh, you had uh, been selling everything really direct from your website. Can you share with us if and how distribution has changed at all? Yeah, so um, that uh, was one of the things that I was a little bit worried about when we went on the show is I figured Mark Cuban was going to ask me, are you selling on Amazon? And the answer was no, because remember I was just telling you about that first video we had? We, would, we were actually on Amazon. So we were on Shopify from the very beginning. And, you know, one day I'm on my Shopify admin and they say, hey, flip this switch and we'll put all your products on Amazon. You can start selling on Amazon. So I thought, okay i'll flip that switch you know so we did it it was so easy and um then gosh through two or three four months later we get this big viral event and all of a sudden we're getting a huge influx of orders and we can't fill them all and we really weren't doing things on amazon properly and we had a couple of late shipments and amazon's ruthless they caught they sent a letter and said that's it your selling privileges have been revoked and I tried, we tried, a bunch of people tried going through this appeals process saying, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize we, were, we made these mistakes. And, and there, was, there was like no mercy. Nope, you're not on Amazon. So here we are getting ready to go on Shark Tank. And I'm like, how am I going to explain to them that we screwed up Amazon and we can't be on Amazon because we had our selling privileges revoked? Fortunately, that question never came up. And uh, 
And, you know, we had no choice but to just continue doing as good a job as we could by ourselves on Shopify. And we continued to grow the business um, okay that way. Obviously, being on Shark Tank and all the other things that have happened to us have, have helped a lot. And, uh, and I think we finally got into the stage where there were so many people calling up Amazon or saying, hey, how come I can't buy a coyote vest or whatever? A guy from Amazon contacted us last year, late last year and said, gosh, I've been looking at your case and I'm, I'm so sorry this happened and I'm gonna fix it for you. And if you would, could you please come back onto Amazon? And so um, that was an unexpected gift. And so now we're back on Amazon and that's just really taken off. You know, that's, uh, you know, taking 80% of our business away from Shopify is now on Amazon and it's growing and scaling quickly on Amazon. So. We're happy about that finally happening to us. How, how does the how does the business look different today than it did in you know well really 2018 when you went on the show? So I mean that's you know five four four years later, uh, different SKUs, different products, different stuff. Tell 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 us how the business has evolved since airing. Um, yeah, so we have uh, really got our our colors and sizes and all. Are down good and most of the design issues worked out. So we have, you know, very few complaints. Everybody really likes our product and is happy with it. So we've really got the, the product design worked out. We have some new products. Um, we have um, gotten uh, a lot more employees here to help handle the workload. And we've also got a big contract manufacturer that we work with now who's helping us with the production. And um, we've gotten, actually, uh, our customer services was getting, you know, when we were doing it all ourselves. We had a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone orders, and a lot of customer service. That's actually coming back down a little bit now with Amazon. It's less customer service requirements. But the main thing I would say that's changed is that we've just kind of gradually gotten bigger. We're shipping a lot more product now. We're more efficient. And instead of... Um, Instead of you know scrambling every day to, to get everything boxed and shipped and on the on the USPS truck, now we're putting up you know big boxes to ship off to Amazon for FBA. So the team kind of has a little less stress to try and you know get everything done before three o'clock when the mailman shows up. The manufacturing question at the time of filming, you had you had. Uh described getting a factory set up, but you were looking to do something different. Did it happen? I think one or two of the sharks may have said that has to happen for you to scale. Did that happen right after the filming or what was the actual process to get to where you're at now with a contract manufacturer? And were there any hiccups that you learned from along the way? Yeah, we, we almost got a deal with Damon. He was really close, but his big yeah. concern was how can we get him made? How can we do manufacturing? And at that time, when I was standing in the tank talking to him, we had just signed up with this contract manufacturer maybe two or three months ahead of the filming. And we were just getting things going and I felt pretty confident that it was gonna work, but I was not able to convince him of that. He, he really felt like um, you guys are going to have so much trouble scaling this thing up that, um, and I don't know how to fix it for you. So he didn't, he didn't really want to do it. And he also wanted you in large retail also. 
Yeah, exactly. He wanted us in large retail as well. And, um, you know, one of the things I've uh, wanted to avoid is trying to just ship this thing off to China and, and, and have a whole million of them made and then come back over here and sell them in Walmart or Petco or whatever. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, I was customer number one. So I really wanted this product to be super high quality. And I always wanted to just be super high quality. And I make them here. We use uh, things like American Kevlar, genuine DuPont American Kevlar, which I can't ship to China. So I'd have to get some Chinese bakey kind. I could probably find it. Um, so I really want to have everything made here. And um, that means there's not really enough margins to go to a big box retailer. There's just yeah. not. Yep. The other thing too about our product that's uh, most people don't realize, and it's kind of one of the things that's always been a little frightening to me, is that cut and sew operations are not that hard to do, right? But every one of our vests has got these spikes on it. And if you take one of our medium vests, it's got three feet of spikes, a yard. So every time I sell a hundred of those, I need a football field of spike strips. We have a lot of spike strips going through here. And in the beginning, I literally had to fire, you know, hire uh, low cost workers, a platoon of guys back there with hammers and, and uh, hole punches trying to just do it, you know, but um, I started working on some machines and because I'm an engineer and I know how to make things, I could 3D print parts and do the programming and stuff like that. I started building some machines to make the spike strips for us. And now we're, our business really depends on those machines running all the time, cranking out spike strips to keep up with the, the vests that are coming from our contract manufacturer, coming from our own internal production. So um, had the sharks ever asked about that, they would have probably been been frightened about that too because there's no there's not really a company could call up and say hey can you give me a hundred yards of spike strips every day right <laughs> yeah you had yeah. to yeah you had and, and again it you're uh you know you're a uh, uh a triple quadruple threat uh software engineer uh, past auto mechanic you could uh my father was much the same he could take apart and put together uh, anything and fix anything. So you had to create your own world in, in terms of automation and machinery. Um, curious about, we always ask about the end game or the vision for the business as it exists today. Is this a great lifestyle business for you and Pam? Or do you see some kind of exit on your horizon? What, what have you talked about and thought about in terms of the vision of the business? Well, we, Pam and I are both nearing retirement age and we, you know, that's a, a, a dream of ours is to, to not have to work so much. And we've worked really hard for the past five years to get this thing going. And uh, we finally gotten to the point where we could, you know, afford to take a couple of days off here and there because, you know, the, the ship will run by itself without us. But, um, you know, I feel like Coyote Vest is a product that's going to be around for a long time. It's not a flash in the pan or some kind of fad I mean it's really kind of like a game-changing thing for small animals that I think will be around long after I'm gone so I believe um, the product as that we've created is gonna gonna live for a long time and the company you know we have some patent protection right now 
And um, the company is going to continue to go for a long time. But I am not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best <laughs> operator. I'm, I'm a good engineer. I can make stuff. But when you truck, you know, when you're trying to get me to operate this big business and balance all these plates, I'm probably not the best guy in the world for it. So at some point, I think it would make sense for Pam and I to hand it off to a, a more skilled operator. And hopefully, uh, you know, since we don't get a pension or anything, hopefully that includes a retirement plan for Pam and I. So um, this will be the last job we ever have, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think you've, it sounds like you've built a great company and there'll be many suitors when you're ready. Can you tell us about what you've learned relevant to leading people and the people that you've hired and put on your team? What were some of the lessons that you've learned that you could share with other entrepreneurs that are starting to uh, scale and hire folks and lead folks? Well, I, you know, I've had a lot of leadership positions, not only at this company, but in my software career and, and other places too. Um, so my philosophy is um, I have to be able to do it myself. I mean, I can't really tell anybody else to do it or yell at them for doing it wrong or critique them until I can actually do it myself. So once I get to the point that I can do it myself, now I can lead other people and I can know if they're doing it well or doing it better or doing it worse. And I really um, uh, use that uh, as, a, as a way to say, hey, are you gonna, you know, are you on this team? Do you really wanna be part of what we're doing here? You know, can, can you, I'm going to, in other words, I'm going to empower you. And if you want to take this uh, empowerment and run with it and do a good job, and I can see that you're doing a good job, we're going to get along great. And it's really going to be more like we're, we're associates. I really don't like the whole boss structure. I like to just work side by side with other people who know what they're doing and who have the same passion for doing it. So we were extremely lucky with Coyote Vest in that um, when Pam and I were just in our garage and we're trying to get someone to come help us as we're growing, Pam went to the Nextdoor app and put out a little post in, in our community here and said, hey, is there any ladies out there who know how to sew? You know, maybe you're a housewife or retired or whatever. Could you come talk to us and see if you'd like to help work for us? And it's just amazing. Within a few hours, these three ladies showed up and they're still here today working <laughs> for us. And they saved the day because they were really good sewers. And I was able to say, okay, well, look, I've got these ideas, these prototypes, these patterns, you know, and, and we're all able to work together and improve the product and come up with production processes that work. And so, um, you know, Holly, Liz, and Linda, our coyote vest and for the first couple of years they made so many doggone vests those ladies just just keep cranking them out so they were really essential uh employees for our success and i don't think we could have gotten i don't think we could have done it without them really we had to have someone like that who, who could come in and really help us with the production and so on yeah there's a, there's always those key people those key roles you need to fill uh, early on in the business. Yes. What's your best piece of advice for an entrepreneur listening? You know, whether it was something you've taken from this business or some of the other things you've been involved with previously, but I'm just curious if there's a, 
a piece of advice or a, a great aha moment that you think the entrepreneurs listening should hear? Well, um, I would say, you know, watch out. I mean, every, every entrepreneur has got confidence and he's, he's happy and excited about his idea and he wants to get it going. And, I, and that's how I felt years ago when I was doing the motorcycle business. And, and we kind of got in trouble with the line of credit. You know, we just kept thinking, oh, we're going to take this money and we're going to do so good. We're going to do so well. And then when 2009 came along and the rug got pulled out and we had this line of credit we had to pay off, it was pretty touch and go. So one of the things I've done very carefully with uh, Coyote Best this time is to uh, really be careful with the credit. You know, I want the product to kind of pay for itself. I want to make sure that it's moving along and selling. And, you know, some people have said, Paul, you could have gone further faster if you hadn't have been so timid. But after the experience we had in 2009, I'm a little gun shy about borrowing money and, and scaling. I really want things to prove themselves before I, before I get myself in trouble. So, you know, this is not maybe the best advice for an entrepreneur who needs to have confidence, but uh, I would say to anybody that, you know, make sure your product, the people really want to buy your product before you bet the farm on it. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a product product market fit before uh, you dive into the deep end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, try and sell some, get, you know, get some feedback from customers, find out if they really like it. Um, you know, and if you start selling, one of the best things we ever did from a marketing perspective, you know, to because I knew that people were enjoying our product, they liked it, was we spent a whole lot of money on, on a, uh, a platform called Yachtpo, which is basically a reviews platform. So you're getting this uh, customers basically selling the product for you with their reviews. So, um, you, know, in, you know, proving that your customers like it and then standing on the mountain and yelling to everybody, hey, look at these happy customers, they love this. That gives everybody more confidence. And, and I'm curious, what are the big pain points that you solve? Why are, you know, in your customers' words, why are they buying the product? Is it uh, just safety? Is it something that maybe has surprised you and it's different? Are other people buying the products for the same reason you created it? Yeah, um, yeah, I never really knew how what our total addressable market is. We don't really know. We're still we're still finding out what the TAM is because no one's ever done this before. But we do know that there's a lot of dogs out there. We could count the number of dogs, and so, and you know, I know from personal experience that um, you know you can really love your dogs a lot. You can love everybody loves their dogs, and the thing that's happening out there is there's been this dramatic shift in the coyote population here in the North America. They're just expanding rapidly. I grew up in the desert in New Mexico and never saw a coyote. Saw lots of rabbits. Maybe you'd see a coyote once in a while, you know, hit on the highway, car accident and run over by a car or whatever. But um, suddenly there's coyotes everywhere. So that's helping our business a lot in that, you know, it's like we're selling windows and there's just kids throwing rocks through glass all over the country. So... <laughs> Um, it's solving that problem. There's a, there's a lot of need 
in that the coyote population is growing and people are worried about their small dogs. And we, in this business, you know, we hear these stories every day about an attack here, an attack there. Uh, sometimes it's an aggressive dog. Sometimes it's a coyote. Sometimes it's a, another thing that we've gotten into quite a bit is birds of prey. Um, you know, we had, we, we had an article in uh, Newsweek magazine not too long ago where they were talking about the wonderful conservation efforts here in the United States. We've brought the bald eagle population back from the brink of disaster. We have lots of bald eagles now. That's good news. The bad news is the number of bald, you know, little dogs that are getting killed by bald eagles has gone way up. And they mentioned our product as a, as a solution to that. So, um, you know, I think the need is just that there's a lot of small dogs, more small dogs than large dogs nowadays, lots of new owners from the pandemic, lots of predators, and um, nobody wants to see their little dog get hurt. I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's brutal. It really hurts when something like that happens. You take a lot of guilt because you know, you're kind of responsible for protecting this animal. And, uh, and even if they live through it, you know, and you have to go to the vet, well, that's a very expensive proposition too. We have lots of people saying, gosh, you know, the dog lived through it, but we had this $8,000 vet bill. So you don't want any of that to happen. And our little $100 product actually works. We have so many testimonials now of people who have had encounters and the vest did exactly what it was supposed to do and their dog is unharmed. So that kind of word of mouth spreading um, is just giving us a, a lot of runway, I think. And where is the best place for uh, folks to buy the product? Well, you can buy it directly from us and at uh, coyotevest.com. We have all of our accessories, everything on there. Um, we also sell our product on amazon.com. We don't have the full product suite on Amazon, but we have our top selling items on Amazon. And um, we're hopefully trying to keep everything in stocks so you could get it delivered tomorrow, probably. Awesome. Well, Paul, we appreciate the time and uh, learned a lot. We, uh, we always do a, a little post game uh, on what we learned from the entrepreneur we talked to. And I've got some great stuff. I'm sure Joe does as well. So we, we so appreciate your time and joining us and some great lessons in here for all the entrepreneurs that are listening. Thank well, you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. And it was, it was uh, cathartic to talk about it. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Our pleasure. All right. Have a great day. All right. We're back and a uh, great interview with Paul. A lot of great lessons here. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting was that the other PR that uh, he had received was actually better than Shark Tank. So, you know, sometimes strategic public relations or being in the right places or getting a video or two to go viral, you know, not everyone is going to benefit from people watching Shark Tank and immediately buying your product. A um, lot of organic stuff. They had 30 million views on one video. So, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but sometimes that organic stuff is, is really, really critical. You know, we talked about just grinding. This isn't his first business. It is a grind. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, sometimes the analogy I'll use, and it's not that good, but uh, you got to like it. Entrepreneurship's a marathon, but you got to sprint. <laughs> it's just it's an effing grind, right? And so uh, I thought that was great. Um, 
you know, finding people that want to promote you and tell your story. They could be fans of your product. You know, they could be uh, people in the news that want to share, you know, hey, there was this attack and this product is built to really solve that. But find people that enthusiastically uh, want to tell your story. Um, you know, getting away from certain things, outsourcing certain things, focusing on the best activities and best use of our time as an entrepreneur. Um, that's certainly, uh, uh, you know, important. And uh, yeah, just great lessons there. Um, really, really cool entrepreneur. I, I enjoyed this um, a lot. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. So hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some great stuff out of it. We'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank.